This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. Today I am speaking with Lori and Robert Byron, two physicians from Hardin, Montana, and lead authors of the Climate Change and Human Health in Montana report. Climate change is the world's greatest group participation project. We can all win together, and in fact, it's probably the only way we will. The report details what we know about how climate change is affecting the health of Montanans. Lori, Robert, thanks for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot. So tell us, where did you grow up and what did your parents do? Lori, let's start with you. I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. My dad was an enlisted military man and mom was a stay-at-home mom. And what was your entry point into medicine? Why did you decide you wanted to be a physician? I went to Kentucky Wesleyan College. I was a math major and um, actually thought I'd end up being a medical missionary and all my friends were going to med school and I just decided I could do that too. It was a little inconceivable growing up because we weren't ever around um, educated people when I was a child. So, Yeah, you went to school and kept going. Robert, how about you? Where did you grow up and what did your parents do? Well, I grew up in eastern Kentucky, not Appalachia, but the the foothills of Appalachia. And actually, my father was a physician, Hmm. uh, one of the last of the country doctors. There was no hospital um, nearby. And So when the county sheriff got between two people in a domestic violence case and got shot, he ended up on our front lawn. And did that, you know, some of these formative experiences inspire you to pursue medicine? Well, eventually, yes. I was a a little resistant, uh, went to college at Vanderbilt and then uh, spent uh, several years in the Navy, having gone to college on a Naval ROTC scholarship. Um, But it was while I was in the Navy that I decided to go to medical school which I did after getting out of the Navy. I'd love a sort of a brief summary of your careers in medicine. I know you spent many years on the Crow Reservation. Lori, talk about your um, your professional career as, as a practicing physician. Yeah, we spent 27 years in Crow Agency. Uh, we sort of felt like people who are in the federal form of government uh, deserve to have some uh, long-term care And that wasn't something that happened in a lot of Indian Health Service hospitals. Uh, There were so many people that just came and went, and we really felt like they needed continuity. Uh, And then it it wasn't until our kids left home that we sort of had the epiphany of realizing that uh, what we did in the exam room didn't matter if we didn't start addressing climate change. Rob, do you have anything to share about your experience on the reservation? And and in particular, you know, as, as physicians... There's abundant opportunities in some ways, probably to monetize your expertise and um, training uh, in other areas, but you both chose to dedicate your primary practicing years to a disadvantaged population. Talk about that that commitment. Lori and I met in medical school um, and uh, married a few years later, um, but neither of us was really interested in private sector medicine or subspecialization. Uh, mm-hmm. And the fact is we worked overseas a couple times in Haiti and then uh, looking at different aspects of uh, 
serving underserved populations and eventually decided that working with a Native American population was probably better for us and and uh, then became came to the Crow Reservation, worked with Indian Health Service uh, for a number of years. After leaving there, I left Crow a couple of years before Lori, even though we've been together the whole time, um, and helped start a Bighorn Valley Health Center, which mm-hmm. is now called One Health, which is a a federally qualified health center uh, serving initially Hardin and the Crow Reservation, but now with multiple sites throughout eastern Montana and northern Wyoming. So, Laura, you mentioned a few moments ago that climate started to become on your radar as your children were getting older. Talk about that. How, when did you become interested in climate and when did you become concerned about its effects on our health? I think we had more time to read once the kids left home and started reading more and uh, just realizing how serious climate change was and, uh, and, and of course how, how it's significant, it affects our health. And uh, yeah, we just decided it was another bandwagon we wanted to jump on and start working on. And and Justin, if I may, may add too, is um, a lot of our work, in fact, all of our work with Indian health service uh, at that time, we would see patients in clinic. Uh, we worked in the emergency room and saw patients there, and then we would take care of them in the, the hospital. But also in that setting is there's the distinction of working with an individual, but also working with populations, which is more public health. Those are kind of different perspectives. Sometimes what's best for an individual or best for a population differ. And particularly, as Laurie said, when we started learning more about the the uh, evidence and the data that was available on climate change, it was kind of a real wake-up call for us uh, to realize uh, how important this was and that we'd be doing something about it. Yeah. And so let's get to the doing something about it part. Like how, how do you, you know, a, a, as a practicing physician, you become more aware of this this force that we're sort of all living through climate change. And then how do you then connect that awareness to action? Uh, the first few years, we were both still working part-time and we were involved with a number of organizations, uh, some in Montana and some nationally, doing activism work, doing lobbying with our Congress people. And it eventually became clear to us that really Montana needed dedicated people working on climate uh, or more dedicated people than the nation did. And so we felt like we needed to put most, most of our efforts uh, into Montana so about four to five years ago, we started the Montana Health Professionals for a Healthy Climate, which is a statewide group um, of all kinds of health professionals. And um, we just work on climate change. So in your work at the intersection of health and climate, how do you even start to investigate the link between climate change and health? Like what, what sort of process do you start with? A good place to start is with air pollution. I mean, air pollution is clearly the cause of, of man-made or anthropogenic climate change. Mm-hmm. And air pollution currently contributes to tens of thousands to maybe hundreds of thousands of premature deaths in the United States every year. And that's despite the fact that our air quality is better now, for the most part, than it was two or three decades ago, thanks to the Clean Air Act. Unfortunately, uh, in addition to that, not only is air pollution causing climate change, but 
it uh, climate change is also worsening those uh, problems. Uh, for example, the the heat waves that we are seeing so much more in recent years, many of them could not have happened without climate change. And heat is the number one cause of climate-related death or weather-related death um, in the United States and maybe globally. Another thing that we're very familiar with in, in Montana, certainly, is our wildfires. You know, mm-hmm. We've always had wildfires. It's part of healthy systems. But the wildfires we're seeing in recent decades are dramatically worse, more intense, burning more acres, and more frequent. And that's multifactorial, but a significant part of that is from climate change-related issues, uh, increased temperatures with more drying, uh, less overkill of pests in the winter, and other things contributing to this. And uh, in fact, is uh, studies have suggested that whereas most places in the United States, air quality has improved in the Northwest, uh, we've taken a step back, and it's because of the wildfires that we've seen over the past decade or so. So is that degradation in our in our air quality largely attributable to to wildfires? What, what's the what are the primary drivers here? When you talk about air pollution, for me as a physician, that's kind of like saying cancer. Um, okay. And there are hundreds or even thousands of kinds of cancer, depending on how you classify them, and some are worse than others, but they're all bad, and they all have a lot of things in common. Air pollution is kind of the same way. So the air pollution that is actually leading to climate change is primarily things like carbon dioxide, which is mostly from the burning of fossil fuels, as well as increased numbers of wildfires, because that does contribute to that. Nitrous oxides, which are mostly industrial, but also some other sources. And then things like... uh, called fluorinated gases that we use for refrigerants and anesthetics and others. Different part of air pollutants are primarily the ones that impact our health. Particulate matter being one of the the really bad actors. And uh, nitrous oxide, again, in this category. Um, Even allergens and the ground level ozone, which is the result from sunlight hitting other air pollutants. So not only is air pollution causing the problem, but climate change actually makes it worse. As temperatures go up, we have more particulate matter because of the massive increase in wildfires, both in the U.S. and globally. Yeah. So some some really dangerous feedback loops that we're, we're stuck in. Let's talk about the report, the Climate Change and Human Health in Montana report. This was a part of the Montana Climate Assessment, or it grew out of the Montana Climate Assessment. Talk about how a project of this scope comes to be and your experience working on it. Well, we met um, uh, Bruce Maxwell when we were giving a talk at uh, Rough Cuts at University uh, at the MSU in Bozeman. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, he said, this sounds like the beginning of a, of a new chapter for the Montana Climate Assessment. <laughs> we said, right. yeah, we'd love that. So uh, that's sort of where it started. And it ended up that um, CARE, which is the Center for American Indian and Rural Health Equity at MSU, ended up getting a, their initial grant from the Montana Healthcare Foundation. 
which was able to uh, kind of bare bones fund fund this project. So there were seven of us authors working together, mostly during COVID. So it was almost all done virtually. It took about a year and a half, and it, that was published about two years ago. Got and, and a monumental project. Talk about sort of your sources and your methods. Like what wh- what kind of research project is this? I mean, this is an assessment to to look at what's out there, what does the data that's available say, and what are some of the gaps in that? And certainly one of the issues and one of the questions that we we all asked when we first started uh, uh, doing it was, do we have enough data for Montana to, uh, to write an assessment? And the mm-hmm. answer is, in many cases, yes. In some cases, we could not be specific. And that's related because Montana has such a small population, you know, a million people spread over such a vast area. It's hard to uh, collect healthcare data. That was one of the issues. As you noted, we built this on the Montana Climate Assessment, which came out in 2017, uh, which had noted that uh, particularly heat was going to be a big issue or anticipated to be a big issue. And that's also a big impact on uh, people's health uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, But also the issue of drought. Again, Montana lives with droughts. That's part of being here. Um, But they are becoming or will become longer and more frequent. And the other issue that we are seeing, what we termed in the... uh, the assessment or the report as climate surprises, which are extreme weather events. Uh, and that can be anything from, in Montana, mostly is going to be extreme precipitation events. Mm-hmm. But but even the, the flash droughts that we saw in eastern Montana a few years ago uh, is an extreme weather event. And then, of course, if it's a, a rain event or a snow event, um, then we have a flooding after that. As we saw in uh, uh, Yellowstone Park and Red Lodge a couple of years ago, uh, yeah. the the other part of the assessment which uh, we tried to put a, a lot of information in is things that people can do, and it's not specific policies, but uh, things that individuals can do, that communities can do, um, and that elected officials can do to make our either better prepare us or address these issues so that they hopefully will have less impact on on people's health. We'll be back to my conversation with Drs. Lori and Robert Byron after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. This is Sam Schultz, and you're listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm speaking with doctors Lori and Robert Byron about the health impacts of climate change. I'd just love to get your sense for how these effects on health in Montana are distributed. I mean, some people, you know, don't have access to clean air if they work outside, or other other factors like do do we know on on which variables um, these negative effects of climate change on our health are distributed? Uh, we do, and um, 
nationally and internationally, there are subsections that are always more at risk, and those include women, especially pregnant women and children, the elderly, people who already have disabilities or chronic medical problems, uh, people who live on the coasts, which of course doesn't affect us in Montana, indigenous populations. But mm -hmm. another group is uh, people who are what we call primary care workers. They're in uh, forestry or fishing or ag or even rec tourism in Montana because they're they're just exposed to the elements more. And do we know much about the effects on mental health? Uh, you know, I'm, I want to ask you to comment on the held case, of course, but that was a theme in that case, the sort of the, the mental toll, the mental health effects that climate change is having on youth in particular. Do we know much about um, how climate change is affecting our mental well-being? Yeah, the data is extremely strong and, and supports the fact that climate change is affecting our mental health, whether it's a, an extreme weather event, um, say a, a flood or a big storm. Uh, there's increased risk of violence, increased uh, risk of, of depression of, and of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder after any of those. When temperatures go up, and they don't have to be extreme, just as temperatures go up, we see more violence, we see more depression, we see more suicides uh, across the board. Um, when we have uh, events like, uh, well, wildfires is certainly a big issue, and it's, it's easy to understand, well, that's devastating to, say, a family or a community, um, so now, in addition to all the life stresses we have, now we have more financial and other stresses, um, things like drought. Mm -hmm. uh, again, unfortunately, Montana has long been a, a leader in the United States in, uh, in the number of suicides per capita, um, and things like drought make that a whole lot worse. Um, so, and these don't have to be extreme events. The droughts that we saw over the, the past couple of years had profound effects on several segments of our population, uh, thinking of rural populations, uh, especially ranchers and farmers uh, were at high risk for, for problems with this. And we saw extreme issues with uh, worsening mental health. Yeah. And as you noted, um, even if we're not directly affected by climate change, just the overall gestalt we have that has led to the climate um, anxiety or eco-anxiety, solastalgia. There's been a number of different words uh, put on it. And certainly our youth are more affected. I think they're, number one, more aware. And number two, um, they're going to live through this longer than those of us that are older. Um, and that can lead to significant despair for young people. And in fact, uh, a good international study in the last couple of years showed that 80% of our youth are very worried or extremely worried about um, climate change. One of the realities that you must grapple with is, okay, at a international level, at a national level, at state level, local, at all the levels, we need meaningful action. But given that climate change is here and we're experiencing it, we also need to be as resilient as we can um, as individuals and in the health systems that we have. What are you advocating as far as what individuals do to maximize their wellness given all the pressures on our health? 
Well, there's there's numbers of things we can do. For example, with wildfires, uh, those of us that can afford it, having filtration in your house sure. definitely helps. Limiting our outside activities or going somewhere else if it's a vacation. Uh, but I also realize that that's a uh, in a population that's in that's entitled, and there are some people like our unhoused people or people living in low quality housing where they have a lot less available to them. So there's a number of community efforts that have gone on in Montana to do um, either box fan filter distributions or uh, air uh, official air filter distributions, and those do help us during wildfire season. Um, when we look at heat. You can, um, again, in, in your own home, you can insulate your home better. You can have more green space around it. And we can do the same things in our cities. We can help the parts of our cities that are heat islands uh, by, by doing these actions. Uh, and then beyond that, I think it's, it's people uh, getting involved, motivating both their communities, but also their politicians, their legislators, um, and motivating the state in general to start working on climate change. At the level of how our health systems are organized, are there any solutions or, or any ways we could uh, uh, engineer our health system to better address the effects of climate? Our healthcare system, regardless of what segment of it it is, uh, we are supposed to be helping patients. Unfortunately, uh, the healthcare system contributes about eight to 9% of uh, U.S. greenhouse uh, gas emissions. Wow. Uh, so there's certainly a big effort uh, in hospitals and clinics uh, and systems across both the U.S. and the world to try and address that. The other aspect is the idea that outside of clinics or outside of the hospital or helping to prevent people from needing to come to the hospital um, and, and working with uh, organizations at the community level to help improve, whether it's uh, air quality or help uh, families, say, better insulate a home, which saves them money in the long run, also improves air quality in the home. Uh, uh, so things like that can make uh, quite a difference. And there is an effort uh, in many of our communities across Montana by organizations to healthcare organizations to address this, um, but we need to do a lot more. And there's a lot more that can be done. Our health departments in Montana are starting to uh, get involved in this. Um, they are, again, looking at the things they can do, both with air quality, with uh, helping people with the extreme heat issues. Um, so they are becoming more involved. In, and traditionally, it's been the health departments that have, again, done the, the big picture kind of things. But more and more, we're finding that other healthcare providers are wanting to get involved in this kind of action too. When we think about climate advocacy, you know, the role of the healthcare system and the role of healthcare providers is not one that immediately comes to mind, but y'all kind of occupy this, this intimate space with your patients. How does that give you a unique influence on helping people navigate these effects of climate change? I think we more and more are finding that healthcare providers are speaking out more. They are talking to their patients about it. They may not mention climate change, but they might mention the extreme heat and uh, what can be done to protect themselves from it. And sometimes, sometimes drawing the links between uh, climate change and whatever the uh, particular health problem is that 
that they're educating on. We find more physicians and nurses are willing to put information in the offices, and that's something we're working on, an education campaign uh, to do just that. I'll also add in that it's only just now that being able to talk with patients about climate change is being introduced into the curriculum of a lot of, of the training of a lot of our healthcare professionals. Oh. Um, that's not something most current healthcare professionals have been trained in. So that's a, a big gap that's trying to be addressed as well. We think of it as being similar to uh, smoking back in the 1960s, right. and it was not being talked about. But now, uh, no, no healthcare professional would dream of, of having patients with certain conditions or just in general and not talk to them about smoking and the risks that has. We think that's where air pollution and climate change need to occupy that same level because the risks are, are comparable. Yeah, it makes me think that, you know, our, our health system's gotten pretty good at like fixing acute problems, but we are, you know, we, we need to improve at understanding these effects of what are, if they're lifestyle disease or lifelong exposures to air pollution or whatever that is, you know, as practicing physicians for so long, what's your view of, of that and how, you know, we're sort of trying to improve our capacity to, to address these, um, the way factors affect us over a lifetime? We agree with you very much, and uh, that in the in the past uh, we have dealt with just the immediate problem, um, and we're both learning more, but also trying to do a better job of it's not a one-time thing; it's a cum cumulative effect of many different things. We in the healthcare sector need to do a better job of not not scaring people. But one, making them aware, but also helping them learn what the answers are or what are alternatives, healthy alternatives uh, to address some of these issues. Well, we do see when we teach the medical students every year that they are more and more exposed to things that, that we never even had available when we were in medical school, like the sure. social determinants of health. And, and they are very aware of these things, uh, also very aware of, of climate change. In our, in our remaining time, you've mentioned some of the work you do, but let's let's mention your organization specifically, Montana Health Professionals for Healthy Climate. Talk about that organization, uh, your mission, and 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 how folks could uh, learn more about it. We shorten it to Montana HPHC. Uh, if people are interested, they can uh, Google it or go to our website at montanahphc.org. Any uh, Healthcare professional or people just interested in health are welcome to join. There's no cost, but our our goal is to both educate healthcare professionals about uh, air pollution and climate change, and not just the bad things, but things we can do, and more broadly to to educate the general public and elected officials and to to work with them. Uh, and we welcome talking with anybody and appreciate questions. Super. Well, Lori, Rob, it's been a pleasure getting to know more about you and your work, this important work. Thank you for this work, and thanks for spending some time talking with us about it today. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, and 
we close a, a lot of our presentations with uh, the the idea that climate change is the world's greatest group participation project. We can all win together. Uh, and in fact, it's probably the only way we will. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. Keely Larson is our producer. Ella Hall is our production assistant. VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks made our music, and Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.